0: Hi, this is Pat Blythe, and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. These are the Pandemic Interviews, conversations in a changing time. We're now 18 months out from March 2020, and live music is slowly returning to stages, parks, and backyards around the world. Gigs are booked, and tours are planned in both North America and Europe. Fingers are crossed there's no going two steps forward and then two steps back. Throughout it all, I have continued talking with local artists, this time with the luxury of sitting down in a professional recording studio. I'm sitting here with John Angus McDonald, lead guitarist for The Trues, songwriter, producer, and vocalist. Mm-hmm. Did I leave anything out?
1: Uh, I would firmly consider myself a background vocalist. A background
0: um, vocalist. Yes, your son, your brother Colin is yeah, the lead vocalist. he's the lead
1: singer. Yeah. And uh, you could throw lead in front of the guitarist if you want, but you got to throw background in front of the vocalist. <laughs>
0: Background vocalist for John Angus. The Trues were formed in 1997 with brothers John Angus and Colin McDonald, along with bassist Jack, and I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Siparek. Siparek, and drummer Sean Dalton. Current drummer Chris Gormley joined in 2018. Originally hailing from Antigonish, Nova Scotia, the band is now based in Hamilton. Together just shy of 25 years the trues perform their own distinctive hard-driving rock with a whisper here and there of their Celtic roots. And on occasion, the plaintive cry of the bagpipes can be heard.
1: Uh, yeah, twice. Yes. Twice throughout our catalog.
0: The band name originated from Monty Python's Meaning of Life and was actually uh, eventually shortened to the trues, which in Scottish terms, I learned the trues from Donald Where's Your Truesers.
1: Yeah, we thought from about the reason. Isle of
0: Skye. <laughs> Uh, From 1997 to present day, the band has released six full-length albums, one compilation, five EPs, three live albums, and one video album, with, as we just heard, a new one in the can. Also during that time, the Trues have been nominated for six Juno Awards, 17 nominations, and seven wins at the East Coast Music Awards, and they've won twice at the U.S. Independent Music Awards. It's been a busy and fruitful Almost 25 years. Mm. And welcome, John Angus, to Love the Music and the Pandemic Interviews. Thank you, Pat. Did I get it right?
1: That's all pretty much correct. The the only thing I will say is the Monty Python uh, association with the name is because at first there's a song called, I think it might be called the One-Eyed Trouser song from The Meaning of Life. Mm -hmm. And we called our band One-Eyed Trouser when we started out. And we eventually shortened it to Trouser. That was like the short form of the name that everybody used anyway. And we came to Ontario to, you know, quote, unquote, make it. And we were about to release an EP and somebody serviced us with a cease and desist over the name Trouser. And we were in like a huge hurry. I think we had like the weekend to rename the EP we were going to put out because it was about to go to the press or whatever, the pressing plant. Um and so very quickly, we're like, what the heck do we call ourselves? You know, we're, we thought it was a crisis at the time because the 50 people that usually go to see us at the local bar weren't going to know what to call us anymore. But it wasn't that much of a crisis in hindsight. But anyway, somebody suggested the truce because it means the same thing.
0: Yeah. And it stuck. Well, John Angus MacDonald, yeah. you cannot get more Scottish than that name. No, you can't. Which is also my background. Yeah. Half English, half Scottish. Mm-hmm. So. Anyways, we've talked about your new album. Um, I was going to ask you, what are you writing these days? Are you in the middle of writing new material? Because you said you've just got an album in the can, I guess, late
1: last yeah. year. What we did, we got the album done, you know, I think by November we had finished tracking it, November right. 2020. It, we're still mixing. Um, but the uh, the answer is we are still writing. That's one of the things that we've gotten a little more regular about with with the pandemic is we used to kind of write – when we had to, you know, like we were, we'd come off the road, you know, decompress or try to, and then block off some time, you know, yeah. be like, okay, let's, let's get into like a writing mode. You know, there, there was no way to do that and no need to do it that way. We we're all home all the time. So, you know, Colin in particular writes, he has like a, almost like a schedule, you know, on Wednesdays he does this and on he's kind of built out a whole schedule around writing every day or, or every other day or a certain number of times a week. And I'm involved in some of that with him. We've also done a lot of writing for outside projects and artists. And I've, I've, I've gone into producing uh, quite a lot for the last, in the last five or so years. So writing for artists that need material. We've gotten into this flow. I don't know if it'll last when we return to the road, where we just always write. Yes, and it's you- not always for the trues.
0: Now you're producing Susie Corey.
1: We did. I did. Yeah, back in the, I don't know, a f- f- few years ago now, but yeah.
0: Yeah, yep. you've produced for her. Um, who does uh, the writing? Is it, a, is it a joint effort? Is there Do you have a primary writer in the band, or do you just kind of all collaborate together?
1: We do all collaborate. Um, everybody brings different elements to the table, and I think Colin, uh, my brother Colin, has taken on the lion's share of the lyrical responsibility. Even though a phrase or a line here and there will come from other members, um, I've written a couple of lyrics, you know, there's a song on our new record that I wrote with my friend Brett from the Glorious Sons. We we did some, uh, words together on that. Mm-hmm. But I think Colin by and large carries that burden. We're all bringing in music and melodies and rhythms and beats and everything under the sun and then, and mixing it all together.
0: Back to the pandemic. How are you coping personally?
1: Um, you know, I think, okay, you know, I think by and large, okay, you know, I, I, like I mentioned my kids, you know, I have a a six-year-old, soon to be seven-year-old and a three-year-old and they keep you really engaged and busy and they don't really know that this is that unusual. You know what I mean? Kids don't have a long frame of reference. Um, and they kind of think it's great that they get to be with mom and dad a little extra and, we've kind of tried to build them a routine and stick to that. Um, I think the hardest part for me is I'm not used to so much routine. You know, I'm so used to like, my routine is not having one, you know, so I'm used to like, well, where am I going this weekend? And, you know, where's the plane taking us now? And, you know, point the bus in that direction and just go. And, and that's, and even just selfishly, that gives me a lot of me time. You know, I gave that up for a year and it's, it's interesting to see, all the little ways that that affects your life and your mood and your all these little things, you know? Um, But I don't count myself unlucky by any means. Like I feel like I feel lucky to have the family to keep my mind on and just, you know, and the career we managed to keep it intact. You know, we managed to, nobody else went out and got other jobs. We managed to keep the band together and keep, keep creative. And, you know, so I think, I think fairly well to answer it accurately or honestly.
0: Good to hear. How do you feel about virtual collaborations? I mean, um, not a lot of people are getting together in one room Mm -hmm. to collaborate on Mm -hmm. music. And I know there's been challenges with people trying to put videos together and syncing problems and all the rest of it. Um, Not just virtual collaborations within the band itself, but with other musicians. Have you had the opportunity to collaborate with musicians that you wouldn't normally collaborate with?
1: Yeah, So, you know, we did a video. That's another thing we did. Uh, We had a song in the can called Godspeed Rebel. And Mm -hmm. as soon as we locked down, two weeks later, we put the song out. We weren't planning to do it, but we just thought, what the heck, everybody's home. They need entertainment and they need, you know, we just figured it would be a good time because everybody is captive, (laughs) quite literally. Captive audience for Uh, sure, yeah. And we decided to do the video with Zoom because until then we'd never heard of Zoom. We thought it would be funny. To do the video over Zoom, we ended up having to do a lot of editing to make it work and make it sync. We had a great editor named Marcel Preston, and he he killed it. So, just because it pertained to your question, I thought I would bring that up. And you can watch it on YouTube, the video, if you want to see it. It's called Godspeed Rebel. Good plug. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, I tried trying to make it pertinent, Um, but it's what one thing we we've talked about is why you know why so take like digital video games, right? You could you know, play of some war game with some kid in like Tokyo with some kid in New York City and some kid in Brazil. And they can all like, you know, slaughter people in the digital battlefield in real time, but nobody's really figured out how to put a bunch of musicians (laughs) together and make the music sync up. Uh, Maybe they have, and maybe I'm just ignorant to this product, but I feel like if it was out there, I'm your market, you know, I should have heard about it by now. But anyway... That that's a bit frustrating, but um, as far as co-writing goes, we've done an awful lot of it, and more of it than we would have otherwise, because everybody's doing everybody's home with time on their hands, and Zoom has been a great asset for for that. And, and the reason it's maybe even a little better um, is there's no procrastinating. You know, one thing about getting together to write a song. You spend half the time shooting the shit over coffee or you go for a walk and it's a nice day. Maybe you stop for a beer on the way back and suddenly you're just talking about road stories and maybe a song gets written. Maybe it doesn't. That's a beautiful thing. That's a social, wonderful thing. And I do miss that, too. But with Zoom, you know, you're just staring at somebody on their screen and it, it lacks that like appeal. You know what I mean? At least it does for me and the ones I've been on. d instead of 3D. Yeah. So it's usually like after five minutes of chit-chat, it's like, okay, what do you have? And then somebody plays something. And as long as everybody's like open and receptive, I mean, co-writing is as good as people are willing to go along, you know? And, and so as long as everybody's on that page, we've gotten some pretty good songs together that way. And um, again, like the procrastination, it's like three hours in, three hours out, usually a pretty good song. And not not a ton, you know, that might be a full day any other year you know do
0: you find that everybody's busier now i've talked to some musicians that seem to be i'm busier now than i was in 2019
1: we've never paid more attention to like social media and that that keeps you busy with this like false sense of urgency Mm -hmm. like it's not urgent i mean it's it's a a rotating wall of Mm -hmm. of content that nobody cares about really like I find it frustrating, but I I have this self-induced pressure to keep things coming. And so you're walking around stressed. You're like, I'm stressed to get a photo up. You know what I mean? This is so silly, but it is the way we now communicate with people and people do come to expect it. And But that keeps you busy. You know, certainly creating content for our Patreon keeps me really busy. Songwriting keeps me busy and my family keeps me really busy. So between all those things, yeah, I feel busy. I'm not, the same kind of busy as I was.
0: Yeah, social media has a tendency to make people feel like they must remain relevant. Yeah, must participate. Yeah,
1: must participate. And it's kind of true and it's kind of not. You know, it's just whether you're on that hamster wheel or not. You know, it's whether you... Yeah, I think we're on the hamster wheel firmly. I'm not trying to sound holier than thou or anything, but, but it's like this: it's a, it's a it's a false pressure. It's a self-induced pressure.
0: Hamster wheel is actually a really good uh, analogy for <laughs> That's that. how I feel sometimes. It is yeah, between all of the social media platforms, not just Facebook. Yeah, live performance very key to artists. It doesn't for the development whether you're new or whether you've been doing it for thirty or forty mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen? with the music scene going forward we've got we're into this pandemic a year mm-hmm. we've lost a lot of clubs a lot of venues mm-hmm. on both sides of the border yeah how do you see this affecting well, the music scene
1: i think that there's going to be a weird like restart obviously there's going to be more people that want to play than there's going to be places to play everybody wants to play and most everybody i know that makes a living off music makes a living off of the road and playing live so it's necessary, um, but and so it's going to be weird at first. It's going to be a massive crunch, and same with new material being released. I, I I believe we're going back. I don't I don't think at some point we're going back. You know, and if there's a hiccup or a delay or a variant or another lockdown, that would suck. But and it's possible. But I think we're going back, and it's just a matter of when. And I think this is going to be a, a, a bit of a hitch getting back up. You know, because everybody's going to want to do it. These things require planning. Everybody's going to be trying to plan at the same time and there's less venues like you said and less places to do it. The market won't tolerate a vacuum and if people want to go things will pop up again. They have to because you know people want to make money off of it and people want to go experience it, you know. So it won't last forever if people want to go back to doing that. It's kind of up to people. If they if they prefer if they liked just binging Tiger King and you know ordering off Uber Eats and that's really what they want their life to be for the rest of all time, we might be in trouble, but I don't think that's the case.
0: No, I would agree with you on that. Do you think the pandemic in 2020 is a career killer for a lot of musicians?
1: Yeah, 100%. I that's why I count ourselves lucky that it so far hasn't killed our career. I think if you're at a pivotal place, you know, I feel really bad for artists that were about to drop new music last, this time last year. We were off cycle. Another bit of luck, I suppose. But, you know, if you were about to drop something you'd worked really, really hard on and the only avenue for promoting it is social media, which, as we alluded to, is sometimes like screaming into a black hole, you know. Like So I, I, I feel bad for that timing. Because uh, I think, especially rock bands, you got to get out and play that stuff. You know, your your music has two lives. You know, it has the life you have when you're creating it and recording it, and then it has its live life, and that's usually the more gratifying one. I know some people that have decided to pivot or pack it in, or or at least take a break and just say, like, look, look, you know, this is a sign. <laughs> but I think you know, if you're if you're established and you can sort of get through, then hopefully you can come back.
0: How do you think this is going to affect? young, up-and-coming musicians. I mean, there were a lot of musicians constantly coming out, looking at a career in music, just getting started. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic hit. Any thoughts on where you think those folks might go? I'm wondering if they're going to pack it in, if they're going to sit and wait, forge
1: forward. I know a handful of young bands in that position, bands that I've been working with. Um, Most of them are pretty gung-ho and like, there's this weird thing where like if you were already broke, like a lot of young bands are broke, and if you were already broke, then what difference does this make? you know you're you go back to making your living when you're home however you did that if you can, if you can do that, some people can't certainly waiters and servers and stuff couldn't right. but um and, and so they're just like just get me back to where I, I could at least be broke doing mm-hmm. what I love <laughs> um so, and I think that those people those gung ho types who end up usually making it any are the ones that make it you know if they're that gung ho will keep pushing.
0: That's serious about it. So do you think this is a really good time now to plan and prepare for when those gates open?
1: Yeah, I guess Um, so. You know, to get the merch
0: done, get the posters done, get the whatever so that when they're ready to go forward.
1: Yeah, I I think so. I I think so. I think uh, my advice to young bands is like be perpetually ready, you know, because luck falls upon those who are ready to be lucky. And like I think we in our early days prided ourselves on like we weren't allowed to have an off show because you just never know who's there. And that's ultimately the main thing about that. I try to stress to bands is like, you have to lead with your music and your performance. Like everything else can happen later. We were terrible at social media and some people might say we still are. It's a backseat part of your career. So is merch. And so is everything lead with your music, work on your material, work on your show Always be good. If you're always good, good things will happen.
0: I've been hearing that a lot. Lead with the music. I find that a lot of bands, a lot of musicians, the young ones in particular, are really focused on social media and Instagram and yeah. TikTok yeah. and getting stuff out. And that's yeah. just such a really tiny window.
1: And the danger rather. the danger with technology, as I'm sure John could attest to, is that, you know, he's the guy whose studio we're sitting in. Uh, he, is that you can make anything you can polish any turd now in the studio. And I think that as much as I like uh, uh, some of those records, you know, some of those producers are incredibly clever in what they're able to do in the box. But if you're working with like, as you're 19 and you've, you've got this amazing sounding record, but you've never played live, especially if you're going to try to rock, you know, like you're going to have to get out there and like imbalance that when people hear your record, you know, and it sounds like this amazing masterpiece then you got to balance that with like what you're able to do with it in front of people without any tricks, you know. And, and I think that, I hope bands still want to do that work because that's what makes bands great, in my opinion.
0: It was the lead single entitled track from The True's fourth studio album, Hope and Ruin, an upbeat song with a slow-moving melody. The title of the song was taken from the cover of a Rolling Stone magazine featuring the article Michael Jackson's Final Days, Hope and Ruin. Inspired by the song Fly by Nick Drake, the original opening lyric of the song was Hope and Ruin, The American Dream.
2: Hope and Ruin Living the dream What we're doing Is not what it seems First to last Best to last To ash, blessed to cursed if you. The world turns
0: Welcome back to the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. The song we've just listened to is Hope and Ruin by The Trues. You're listening to a conversation I had with John Angus MacDonald of The Trues in March 11, 2021. Do you think artists in general are more flexible or more adaptable to changes? I keep hearing the word pivot. And actually, the first person I heard use it in an interview was Samantha Martin. Mm. And now singer. I'm hearing it all over the place. Yes, she just got nominated. Uh, her band, Delta Sugar, for just Juno? got nominated for Juno. Yeah. Awesome. Our, yeah. our, base, our uh, yeah.
1: keyboard player Jeff plays with her uh, quite often. Yeah, so.
0: she's fantastic. But she started using the word pivot, and now I'm hearing it all. I'm reading it and hearing it all yeah. over the place. So, are artists really good at pivoting, adapting, changing?
1: Um, or... I guess so. I mean, necessity is the mother of all this stuff, you know. So I think if you have to do it, you do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Diversifying—it's all business lingo, you know. Pivoting, diversifying—all that kind of stuff.
0: Thinking outside the
2: box.
1: Thinking outside the box—it all comes from the business world. I-, I think it's natural for us. It was really natural. Like about—we started making a, records in two thousand and three. And about 10 years after that, we'd made five of them, you know, and some live stuff. And, and then I got interested in like, well, how do I record other bands, you know, and how can I help out other bands? And we've been helped in so many ways when it came to the creative and the studio and by so many different people. And like, how could I do this for others? And like, so that you can call that diversifying or pivoting if you want, but it was like a natural interest that opened up you know, call in with writing and, and I, we never sat down and had a board meeting and went time to diversify folks. Our shareholders will not accept this any longer. <laughs> uh, we just, but I think those things do happen, especially if you have natural gifts or at least starting points. Jack's a great visual artist or bass player, you know, like that. He didn't decide to diversify into that. He, it, it's something he can do well. And so he wants to do more of it. And so, yeah, all big all business lingo aside, I think that some of that stuff can evolve naturally. Uh, and some of it is a bit forced like like social media stuff, you know, Patreon stuff. I, I like to do it, but I have to do it too. You know, I I have to like I meet a schedule kind of thing. Oh, I promised be two tracks a month. So every middle of the month I'm scrambling around going what am I going to release this month? We have a lot. I just have to figure out if it's, is it mixed well, is it sound good, how do I, you know, got to upload it in time, all that kind of stuff. Not the end of the world stuff, but I mean that to me is more of a pivot, you know, like a forced right. I got to keep this on schedule. Uh, other stuff is mo- much more organic, like like producing records. So that was more organic for me.
0: Patreon. That's a new thing for you guys. June. June. Yeah, we launched it in June. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think it's going to take to get people back out to see live music?
1: I would say herd immunity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's the main thing. Uh, I think people want to do it. I think people really want to do it. They want to gather together and, and be with people, and they want but they don't want to Nagging sense that they're gonna kill their grandmother over it or something, you know what I mean, right. so I think that that it's coming you know uh, you know i i will get I'll be the first in line to get vaccinated, and I think i'm gonna to have to because of travel you know like i want have to go back to traveling and so I have no problem with that I' have no hesitancy whatsoever, and I think that that's the um the path forward
0: There's been a few things that I've read um and some comments I've heard. Um, about the larger venues because Mm -hmm. we can probably start with the smaller ones Mm -hmm. but the larger ones um, it's going to be a little they're going to be a little bit i'm not going to use i can use the word scared but hesitant yeah because if they have a large audience and Mm -hmm. i'm talking two or three thousand people or more Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and somebody gets sick yeah That will shut the whole industry down. Yeah, it's like a
1: lawsuit waiting to happen to. I think, you know, the way that they're doing it in in the States with sports, that's starting to come back, you know, 25%. I think that's the way it's going to creep back in. The, The problem is going to be adjusting the cost and the price. And like, so if you've promised, you know, pick your band, Coldplay, whatever, if you promise them X amount of dollars to come play at the Rogers Center, I don't know, this isn't a real world example, but then suddenly you're going to keep the show on the books, but it now only 25% of the room is able to go safely. Well, then they can't pay Coldplay that X amount that they were going to. So are they still going to come? And so it'll be like that's 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 what I'm talking about. This awkward readjustment when we all enter the world again. Everybody's going to be dealing with these things. You know, nobody wants to devalue their band. Oh, last year you paid us this, but well, we lived in a different world last year. So like this is it's going to take an, gonna be an awkward adjustment period to re-entering what we used to call normal.
0: A balancing act.
1: Balancing act. Because, yeah, the big the big arenas have the most risk. They have the most cost. Those acts don't play there for cheap. And they don't want to play there for a quarter of what you promised them, you know, because c- they have operating costs of their own. And they've got teams of their own. And, like, so, but everybody's, I'm sure everybody by now has an open mind and, and realizes that this is a unique and hopefully once in a lifetime situation. And that hopefully people will be reasonable and just and come to terms.
0: Well, most of those shows that come to places like the Rogers Center, they're extravaganzas. I yeah. mean, there is so much involved. Yeah, it takes expensive. them a week yeah. to set those shows up. So I can see paying the band many hundreds of thousands of dollars to put on those shows. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if a Coldplay or a Taylor Swift came in with a much scaled down show...
1: Yeah. I, I, that's what I mean. Like... But but uh, I'm certainly glad I'm not the one negotiating. Like you know that that's <laughs> yeah, who that's wants true. to go to their management and be like, ah, oh, listen, I know we promised you this. But it's gonna it's just gonna be a little bit awkward, you know. Yeah. But I think everybody's gonna have an have to have an open mind, and we're in the same position just on a different yeah. scale. We we've uh, built up a value that we have, particularly in Canada. Nobody wants to diminish that. Our agents don't. Our managers don't. But we want to go play for our, our people, and our people want to come see us. And you know how many of them can get in? What's the financial reality? Everybody's just going to have to come to some hopefully unique terms. That only it's only this once while we sort of get back to reality.
0: And it's also security liability. Make sure everybody's been. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's going to go consider. into the vaccination thing. And, and that's what I was talking yeah. about.
1: This stumbling block. Yeah. To, but but better to just stumble over it. You know, there'll be some mistakes and there'll be some frustrations, but it's all part of getting back.
0: Trial and error. What about charging for live streaming? What do you think of that? Do you think that's just a short-term fix? Or do you Uh, think that's going to continue and broaden?
1: It might. I mean, we did a little bit. We did one ticketed live stream show from the Danforth. Um, It was brought to you by like Jim Beam and it had some corporate sponsor. Ship. Did you? Nice. Yeah, I thought it turned out pretty good.
0: It did turn out really well, actually.
1: Um, So that was our only experiment in, in that. Now we have another one coming up. On April horseshoe. the third, yeah, the Hootenanny, Hootenanny series, and it's we put it on sale, and the first day we were told we did incredibly well, so they're very happy, the promoters, which is good. You know, you want the people that are paying you to make money and be happy. I'm calling this horseshoe show hopefully our last ever live stream. <laughs> it just doesn't compare, and um, it doesn't uh, doesn't scale the same way. Oddly enough, you'd think because you have the whole world and not just one city, but it's not, people aren't as uh, willing to part with their dollars for that experience as quite as much. I understand that. I've never done it as a fan. I'm a massive music fan and and I have plenty of bands that I love. I'm not rushing to give them $20 to sit on my couch and watch them play through my laptop. You know, it's just not what I necessarily want either. So I understand it. Colin also did, as soon as we locked down, Colin started going live every Friday from our Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And people were really appreciative of that. He would play for an hour, take requests, interact with people. God, he must have done that like, I don't know, between then and now, fifty to hundred times. I, I I have to go back and count, but a lot of times. A few on a few occasions, like New Year's Eve, he just put out the tip jar and be like, "Listen, we're we're gonna give some of this to Unison," but just to see what what was what was what what was real. Like you know what I mean? Like if this if this was something we had to rely on, what is it worth? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was okay. It was an interesting experiment, and people were. Very appreciative of the, f- the f- essentially the free entertainment, and they wanted to contribute, you know. And we ended up donating. I think we went fifty-fifty to a charity. Just it was kind of like an experiment to see how how it went.
0: Yeah, well, I think performing live. I mean, you're feeding off the audience; they're feeding off you. And audience members, it's almost an out-of-body experience. Mm. You don't can't get the same feel when you're sitting on your couch. Mm-hmm. But streaming seems to be becoming more and more popular. And more and more professional looking
1: as well. The audio is getting better. Uh, Here's what I think, and I think it's got something to do with the Elmo combo was sort of on track to deliver this, and they got cut cut short of all their endeavors too. But um, so you're playing the Elmo, and you could be one of the lucky two or three hundred, or you can pay five bucks. And an infinite capacity can stream this from home. You're you're getting both. You know, the band is still getting the the vibe of the audience. And I bet you even watching at home, it's a little more fun because the band is a little more animated. The band's a little more reactive to the people in front of them. So I think that that's probably a big part of the future.
0: I'm going to see a mix of both. Focus on merchandise. Mm. Um, If you're spending a lot of time, bands are spending a lot of time streaming. That's a very small portion of your income. Yep. So merchandise. So do you think merchandise is going to be – everybody seems yeah. to be getting heavy on the merch. They are.
1: We got a little heavier. We actually had a better year than than any other off-cycle year. Like we obviously do better on the road because, you know, it's just it's just the easiest place to sell merch. You put the T-shirts and CDs by the door and the vinyl, you know, on the way out. But for an off-cycle year, I think we had like a record year because people were – Home looking for things to do, people that didn't lose their job had a little more, you know, expendable income because they're not going out to dinners or going on vacations. And also we were uh, producing a lot of new stuff, again, projects, you know, just like all this extra time. So, you know, we did we did do all right now that you mention it, but it's always been part of our revenue stream. It's not, it's not like we, it's not, this is not new, you know, every time we tour or do an album, we do a new line and it goes out with us and it's, just, it's part of it.
0: Bit of an abstract question. Some of the research I was, I've been doing with regards to the pandemic and the music business, etc., a w- couple of articles I came across was the sales of instruments online, particularly in the first six to eight months of last year, were, were huge. Mm. They went off the charts to the point where musicians couldn't get what they needed because everybody was out of stock. Mm. So you had that oh, portion yeah, yeah. of it, yeah, yeah then you had stories of musicians discovering instruments that they had learned to play ten fifteen, twenty, thirty years ago the guitar in the in the collecting dust in the back of the closet or um the keyboards that had the covers over them for the last twenty years they were starting to pull those instruments out so now you had a drummer on the keys or a bass player on the drums, or you Fair somebody enough. on guitar yeah. um and when and from my perspective, when you're writing music, um, if I'm a guitar player and I'm now on keyboards, it's different. It's different feels, different harmonics. It's different. Yeah. So the music mm-hmm. becomes um, a little different. Um, do you think that there might be, because of all of that and the collaboration, there might be a new renaissance in music?
1: I never thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I, know, you know, I know my friend who runs a drum company. He said he had his busiest season, you know, the, those first few months of the pandemic, and I know Serb factored in. I hate to be, you know, I'm not trying to be cynical about about the the help that we're so darn lucky to get in this country, but uh, but it, people had a little extra money that you know, uh, and they he's he just selling drums like a madman. Um, but for me, uh, trying to relate it back to my own experience, I I certainly built up my home studio a bit, bought a lot of preamps and plugins and mics and and stuff that I could because I was doing a lot more of it, you know, spending a lot more time. I've never been a great mixer engineer. I've always considered myself a music producer. Like I produce the music with the band and rely on an engineer. But I kind of closed that gap a little bit, just figured out what I was doing in that way. Uh, Also, we got a piano, like a family upright that we inherited. And so I started practicing piano, so to your point about like I didn't grow up a piano player, I was the only kid with a family of five. I was the only one who didn't do piano lessons. I did violin lessons instead. and so i I've been practicing like driving my family nuts because you know it's not like you can put headphones on uh and uh that's been great. It's been really great. I think it helped my guitar playing to be honest like it it was uh it's just looking at music a different way, you know, yeah. different patterns. So I that that was great. So maybe I'll start writing more on piano and that'll lead to some new songs and that'll lead to some new sounds. And to your to your question about a renaissance, that would be great.
0: More uh, experimentation.
1: More good music yeah. always makes more good music. That's just the way it's always been.
0: One of the ones that, that triggered this whole pandemic interview was wondering about um, how the indie artists were coping, mm-hmm. but also about... Opportunity, because as you mentioned, we're all on the same everybody worldwide, same playing field. Nobody can play whether you're a Coldplay player yeah, or yeah. A trues or whatever. Nobody, nobody's
1: out there getting ahead. Nobody's out there unless you're buying GameStop.
0: So, Stop. do you think that for local artists, this might be a golden opportunity for them to start to shine in their own communities? We talk about you know shop local, eat local, buy local. How about listen local? Mm. Because you don't have that competition. From the larger
1: acts. I think that that's going to be beneficial in the short term. Like, I, I, we actually, you know, are just talking to our agent and other Canadian acts, like, we're not going to be up against a lot of, or maybe any, American touring artists this summer. But we're going to see a slow, you know, I'll knock on wood, but we're expecting to see a slow opening of Canadian touring as pe- more people get vaccinated, as the weather warms up, as you can play outside. And so, yeah, I mean... I I know maybe you meant a more local level than this, but for us touring Canada, there's not gonna be any American headlining acts coming in to snatch up headline festival spots, you know, at least not like there is on a normal summer. So you might see some more focus on Canadian domestic music. Uh I think that's short term. You know, I think obviously the more things like by this time next summer, I don't think that'll be the case. Uh or we're not in summer yet, or not even spring yet, but by next summer, you know, twenty twenty two. And I think locally, like, sure, you know, if you're a lounge singer in, in Hamilton or if you're a classical guitar player, you know, plays in the corner, or if you're a jazz pianist, you know, I think now's, now's your time as things are, are, are sort of opening up. I mean, people are desperate to get out and, and hear things and eat and be around people. And if you if you can seize on that moment to get yourself more exposed, then I'd say go for it.
0: A high-energy song, "Vintage Love," was launched with a video capturing the band's shows at several venues around Toronto, including the Rec Room, the Key to Bala, the CNE, and Hard Luck. From their 2018 album, "Civilianaires," this particular album has been called a perpetual dance party.
2: As if we-
0: back to the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. The song we've just listened to is Vintage Love by The Trues. You're listening to a conversation I had with John Angus MacDonald of The Trues on March 11, 2021. What about the collaboration of bands, not in videos, but in the live music scene? If you've got a band like The Trues, you live in Hamilton, there's a lot of local acts in Mm -hmm. Hamilton, starting to work together with those local acts and help to build them up. Performance wise, not Toronto. in the studio, yeah. but working with, and it's the same with Toronto. We have the Samantha Martins, we have the Julian Taylors, um, pulling local artists together and putting on a show of maybe two or three local bands and sort of, and doing that right across the country. I mean, and taking all the different communities, but the collaboration of almost mentoring in, in, in some form, fashion
1: yeah.
0: uh, smaller local bands and yeah. working with them. Performance-wise.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's a great idea. You know, it's not... um, The way that I can liken that to our experience is like we... Bands that I produce... There's a band called Revive the Rose out of Mm -hmm. St. Catharines, Niagara Mm -hmm. region. I think they live in St. Catharines. Oh, no, they live in uh, Welland. You know, I produced some songs for them early 2020. And, you know, we've had them out to open. You know, like we did a drive-in show in Ancaster in September. Uh, you know, three or four hundred cars in a field. Nice. We can talk about that if you want. It's an interesting experience. We That's did three a, drive-ins.
0: I do want to talk yeah. about drive-ins.
1: Uh, but we, I try to think of those bands and, and like, and bring them out when we can't, you know, and get them, help get them exposed and um, I'm not on the planning side of shows ever, but beyond like picking our opening band. But if I can help a local band that I like or a band that I'm working with that I'm proud of the material, then I'll try to do that. You know, I always have. I mean, the Glorious Sons, most notoriously, are the best known example, but they I discovered those guys for all intent and purpose. You know, they were opening for us, and I invited them into the studio, and we did the EP, and that led to some radio play, and that led to their debut album, uh, which had a lot more radio play. and And then from there, they were just off, up and running. But we took them across the country on one of their earliest tours. They're buddies, they're pals. But you know, at the time, it was also help. And we were helped in that way, you know. A Big Sugar in 2002, you know, we met uh, Gordy through our manager who also managed him at the time, Larry Wanagas. And we needed mentoring in every department, you know what I mean? Like he would go like, you're not wearing that on stage tonight, are you? And and stuff like that. And then in the studio, he'd be like, oh, God, that's awful, you know. Uh, And performance, you know, watching them every night, 30 shows in a row, you know, a well-seasoned band, that stuff has rubs off. So in that way, we try to pay it forward. I hope that answers your question. I'm yes, not a does. show organizer. No, no. You know what that, I mean? That
0: answers my question, and that's great. But tell me about this drive-in.
1: Well, we did three of them. So uh, the other thing that went on with me personally this year was I had an emergency spinal surgery in July. Oh. And that put me out. So I was sort of like I've been dealing with a bad back most of my adult life. And it just sort of came to a head in the summer, pulled out of my house in an ambulance, and they went in that day and they had to take some pieces out of my uh, spine and Ooh. and uh, lamina. I think it's called the lamina. Yeah. Anyway, the bone between the discs. Um, and that was unexpected and scary. And I was on a cane for uh, almost a month. And the first, it's, I'm bringing this back to the drive-in, but uh,
0: you're too young for that.
1: Yeah, no, but I really did for the cane. and But the I did rager. beat <laughs> my beat my body up. A lot over the years, you know, I've uh, been a physical performer my whole career and jumping off of risers and drum kits and into the audience and sleeping on tour buses and planes. And, and I, you know, I'm, I turned 40 this year. So, you know, it, maybe it caught up to me early, but it did catch up to me. That was the first thing to do. We went in the studio, but it was like late August. So like a month and a half. The doctor said that I, I needed to do nothing for six weeks. And uh, then after that, you know, as you feel, you can start to do stuff. So I started using my lighter guitars, my SGs instead of my Les Pauls. And we started rehearsing. And, you know, standing was okay for that long, but I had to sit down a lot. And the first thing we did to come back was to play that drive-in stage in Toronto on, on Lakeshore, the OLG stage. Did mm-hmm. you hear about that?
0: They, my, that's not the one down by the old docks, is no,
1: it? Yeah, no, they did a concert series. They It's a, a, Ontario Place parking oh, lot yes, they yes, put yes, a really yeah. elaborate stage they were also playing mm-hmm. raptors games right um and people yep. were driving in to see them so we were i think we were like one of the first in that series first or second and it was great you know our agent described it as like the cadillac of drive-ins because the production was over the top posh like they had like you know massive led screens and behind and just tons of lights and it really it really looked great but that was my first thing to doing back from you know being laid up so I, I heavily associate it with that, but we had a, an amazing time. We had a really amazing time. And I think it was because of the uniqueness of the situation. Like between songs, people were just laying on their horns. And it was a beautiful, warm night. And we were playing together again for the first time in, uh, well, it was March to, to August. So, how, you know, six months. And um, it was really great. So so much so that we told our agent to go find us. He's like, if there's more of these, go, go find them. You know, we loved it. So we went to Ottawa. Did one in Ottawa, which was mm-hmm. more of in like a field, it's a muddy field outside of town, but still Woodstock, three or four hundred cars. <laughs> you know, it's all distanced. Uh, and then we did one more in Hamilton in September, the following month, uh, Ancaster, mm-hmm. uh, Ancaster Fairgrounds, and that one also went really well. Then it just started getting too cold, and we we that was that was it. We did the three, but we're already in talks because nobody knows what the future holds immediately. So yeah. we're in talks to maybe do more in, in June or something like that.
0: Talk to Susie. She wants to put on that Love Revolution one again. Does she? Yeah, yeah great. Yeah, she's talking about it. So she had good success in Caven outside of Peterborough. Nice. With it, hers.
1: With lack of – so, it's the only thing to do. It's, it's not as weird as you think. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people would back their pickups in. Yep. you know family bubbles and everybody be lying in the back of the flatbed with their sleeping bags and their thermoses and their snacks and that's a pretty nice night out you know what i mean like and you're watching your your band so it's you know i, I had much more fun than i thought i would you still
0: have it. the audience participation you still have yeah. the audience vibing from each other and from the band back and forth yep. so and they're a little
1: and- they're a little far away a little bit separate from each other but it's it's it was like I said, more fun than I thought it would be.
0: Yeah, It sounds great. I actually would like to go to one of those. Do you think the current circumstances have heightened the awareness of the contributions of the arts and entertainment industry, oh, particularly 100. musicians?
1: 100, well, I think every all of the art. I mean, ask yourself how your pandemic would be without the content on your TV and on your stereo. Like, I think we'd have a lot more psychotic breaks. <laughs> I'd be one of them. You know, without without that, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's, what what has everybody been doing otherwise? They've been watching movies and they've been watching shows and they've been listening to records and they've been listening to podcasts. And these are all, this is content created by the creatives. You know, just ask yourself how it would have been without that. That's how important it is.
0: And yet in many cases, they seem to be left behind as far as a lot of government funding and i I can't closures club closures in particular
1: yeah well club closures that's the market i mean like you can't uh, you know if if you can't weather the storm i mean and i i I get it you know if there's not enough in the coffers what are you going to do that that twenty thousand dollar rent bills coming every month or whatever it is some of these people have astronomical expenses and it's a shame but it's not um i don't want to say it's unavoidable but restaurants have closed too and clothing Mm -hmm. shops have closed and You know, it's not unique to music. Um, And I feel like in Canada, I have a lot of American friends who are not remotely as supported as as Canadian artists. So I I feel lucky in that sense that Canada does do that.
0: We've been really lucky with CERB and with CRB.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's not the case in most other parts of the world. I mean, the vast majority of the rest of the world. No. And so we are in a way lucky. Um, Nothing's perfect. Nothing's nothing's perfect, especially not with huge institutions and government projects. You know, nothing's ever perfect. No. But it's, but I th- I think we're a lot luckier than some.
0: I think we yes, I think we are a lot luckier than some, and we've benefited from uh, the the sponsorship from government. Yep. With with the the funding. One hundred percent. What have you found to be the most difficult or the most challenging for you during the pandemic?
1: Um, I mean, the most difficult thing, it sounds melodramatic, but just not, not being with the band and, and doing what we normally do in love, you know, that, that was, that, that was challenging. You know, it's not, um, something we all miss and it has become just such a regular part of our lives and routine that it was like, it's like missing a limb or something when it goes away. And, um, challenging raising kids too i mean like all you know when everybody's home all the time you know those those lockdown periods when you know th- that's its own challenge completely different um you know it's gratifying and wonderful too but it's like it's challenging you know and i think it'd be a a lie to say otherwise um and what was the other part gratifying
0: Difficult or challenging? Oh,
1: difficult. I'll well, give you difficult and challenging. There you
0: go. You did difficult and challenging. So how are you moving forward for 2021 and maybe into 2022?
1: Uh, well, we're going to release a single next month. So the first single okay. from the next record is going to come next month. We're going to work at a radio, and um, then we're going to hope for the best. And and uh, y- we have a handful of shows that we're in talks to confirm and mm-hmm. announce, like real real shows. Um so stay tuned for that. I can't really, you know, I'm not sure when this is going to air or be put up. But, um, you know, just v- visit our, our sites and socials for show announcements because we're hoping to do some. And uh, then I think the record will come out in like September or October. So we'll do like a long lead and we'll and we'll keep releasing music from the record through the summer. Then we're going to do The Train, which is what we started out talking about. Uh, that's supposed to happen in November. And then if all goes to plan, we'll be headlining a concert tour in the first quarter of 2022 so that's like you know we make our plans in pencil so that if you have to you can
0: with er an eraser erase and retool
1: (laughs) but that's like the general sketch we we kind of we kind of parcel things out into like 18 month windows and try to deal you know so we kind of look ahead that uh, about that amount of time and try to execute it
0: what have you learned from all of this
1: um, I'll never take another show for granted. I'll never complain about The Rider ever again. Um, actually, that's probably not true. I'll definitely complain about The Rider again. Uh, but, you know, it's not...
0: the red jelly beans. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Who am I kidding? I learned how, you know, precious what we have is. You know, how, you know, this thing we worked our whole lives to build and sometimes took for granted and sometimes even got cynical about. I also learned how to be a full-time father. You know, I, I when my first son was two... I was home half of the year at most, at most. My second son turned two in February, 2020, and he turned three in February a couple of weeks ago, 2021. And I was home every day of his second year, you know what I mean? Every meal uh, for the most part, hospital stay in there too. But like, you know, that that's that was different for me. So like, I'm sure I'll look back at that and think of it as more of a blessing than anything else.
0: It is different staying home, 724, with little ones around the house. I'm lucky mine are all grown and gone.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Two positives to come out of this. One personally
1: and one professionally. Well, I think I just hit on the the personal. We moved, you know, I think our family in ways became closer, my wife and my two kids. Um, So I'm going to say that that personally has been the benefit. And then... um, Professionally, I think we uh, one realized how loyal and amazing our our fans are. Th- they've stuck with us in a way. They put their money's down their their money down for us time and again with Patreon and with every live stream, every merch item, every opportunity that they've had to help. They have, and so I'm very appreciative of that. And um, I also how to use technology <laughs> Got a little better at all the stuff. Had to, so I feel like I'm a I'm an ace digital co-songwriter now.
0: <laughs> if you could choose, everybody has a favorite band or artist somewhere, mm-hmm. sometime. If you could choose somebody you would love to play with. This one's tough. I mean, be? it's not
1: that tough. We, we've opened for, we've, we've had so much contact with our own heroes.
0: But you, not necessarily the trues, mm-hmm. but John Angus McDonald, who would you love to play with?
1: Well, perform with, open for. Whatever. I'm just gonna go really big and, and just say it would be Bob Dylan or Paul McCartney because I, I those giants still roam the earth uh, we've we've managed to bump in and play with some of the other giants and we've played with the stones and Robert plant and really yeah and oh, wow. you know kiss and guns and roses and we've had some amazing experiences and Aerosmith these are all people that I count in that category but I think of Bob Dylan and 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 Paul McCartney and everything that they've done and everything that they represent. And I think like, you know, we haven't got that many, not to be cynical, but that many years left with these guys and Mm. they mean so much to me and they've done so much. And, you know, I think that would be fantastic. I don't expect to get anything out of the experience necessarily. Like they're not going to, you know, tell me the secret or anything like that, but I, uh, I just think it would be great. Just be a thrill
0: to perform with them. Absolutely. And
1: there's lots of other artists, you know, all in between that I also respect and admire and would mm-hmm. love to play with on every level. We were supposed to play with the Black Rose last summer at the amphitheater. Oh. We were on that show. That We're technically still on that show if it happens this summer. You know, there's there's all kinds of, of people that I respect and admire and, and would love to play with.
0: Bob Dylan and Paul McCartney, they're two... I know, it's kind of like great. obvious. That's great. But yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's I mean, there's there's lots out there. What brings you joy?
1: Uh, music still brings me joy. I... You know, my family still brings me joy. Friendship brings me joy. Good weather <laughs> brings me joy. You know, this all the stuff that always has, I guess.
0: That's all I have. But I was Tightly gonna, work. I was gonna ask you one thing on. Um, it's not really part of this, but of the truths. What um got you and Colin together to actually form the band?
1: Oh, we again, like you know. He picked up the guitar first. He was a piano player. I was a violin player. My dad did a little bit of everything. We always had a piano in the house, always had a guitar in the house. And he taught Colin a bunch of chords, and then Colin taught me a bunch of chords. Colin's a few years older. But then at that point in our early teens, we lived very different lives, social lives. And then uh, our family moved to the Caribbean. Um, in the mid-90s. My dad took a contract with the University of the West Indies. So he went from working at MUN, the uh, University of Newfoundland. So I was born in Nova Scotia, raised there till I was seven, family moved to Newfoundland, raised there till I was 13. And my dad was working with universities, so St. FX in Antigonish, uh, Memorial University in Newfoundland, and then the University of the West Indies have three campuses. They did then anyway, Jamaica, Barbados, and Trinidad. Mm -hmm. And my dad took a three-year contract and moved the whole family down which was bold. Now that I have kids, I realize even five kids, you know. Wow. Uh, it's insane, really. But uh, so Jamaica was first. We lived in Kingston. And that was when I was 13, Colin was 15. That was when we were like the our only company for a long time, for a, a, the first while. And we were both really interested in music and would play together. And then that started there. Uh, that progressed into when we lived in Barbados, and Barbados is when we started actually like playing a bit publicly, like our, we would get invited to parties to play like Nirvana and Oasis and REM covers, because <laughs> we were pretty good at it. Uh, and then when we moved back to Nova Scotia, that was like a permanent, semi-permanent move. Like to, my mom's still there, like just to go but from go back to our hometown. That was when we sort of started playing the, in the band, like you mentioned, ninety six, ninety seven, with uh, Jack, and that was the sort of beginning of what we're still doing
0: of the truth so nova scotia newfoundland
1: jamaica and barbados, jamaica
0: and barbados. Mm-hmm. a lot of influences for music
1: yeah i always loved reggae and and, and you know in all what the music. An
0: experience
1: yeah. yeah i went to bob marley's house you know i'm mean, it's kind of a tourist attraction now but like we it was in on old Hope road it was across the street from where i went to school um i saw his studio and stuff like that and The music that was there that was popular then was people like Buju Banton and and, uh, there was some real Calypso and dance hall things that were really popular. And some of the songs were amazing. Uh, That was for me the the entry point always was like I didn't dare dabble in that style and make a a mockery, embarrassment of myself or a mockery of the style. But songs, you know, I mean, that's the thing that transcends all genres, you know, Um, just the the quality of the songs. So that's what I took from that. Music unites yeah, everybody. Yeah, certainly does. Yeah.
0: yeah, so is are any of those influences in the Trues music now? There, have you carried that forward? Of, no, the I mean, Celtic, not, I hear. Yeah, the Celtic sure. is
1: sort of inborn, you know. Um, but the uh, like in our earliest days, like we were listening to plenty of reggae and the meters and all this kind of stuff, and like like trying to cop some of their rhythm section stuff, you know, drum and bass that kind of thing. Gordy Johnson, who uh, is really well versed in that style reggae has always been a big part mm-hmm. of his music. So uh, he brought some of that out, you know, I, I think it, maybe it's faded a little bit in that, like, we, we I think we kind of got labeled with like, or like, I feel like we, a sound emerged, you know, and it was more of a rock and roll sound. Uh, but uh, you know, I think that stuff is still stuff I put on at home, you know, and so it's bound to be in there somewhere.
0: Interesting history. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank you. This interview was recorded at Soundhouse Studio, located on Eastern Avenue in Toronto, Canada. Owned by producer-engineer John Jameson, John is also my co-editor and mixer for all the interviews we record at Soundhouse. He makes us all sound good, and me sound like I know what I'm doing. With respect for the times we live in right now, all appropriate safety measures are taken during any in-person interview recorded at Soundhouse. Many thanks go to Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong for writing and performing the fantastic theme music for the show. And to all of you who have tuned in to listen to what these artists have to say, thank you for taking the time and inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. I am Pat Blythe. You're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening.